Hi everyone. So tonight we're going to do something and I'm, I'm really excited about it. This should come to no surprise to anybody, but when I was a child, I loved fairy tales. But I didn't like the happily ever after fairy tales. I liked the fairy tales that were especially true in the storytelling. Like Brothers Grimm, Hans Christian Andersen, these, these stories. And unless you've gone out of your way to read them and understand them, you will not know the difference between real and quote-unquote the movie version. So when we discuss fairy tales, one of the things you should know is these are much older than Brothers Grimm, Hans Christian Andersen. These are much, much older. When we look at the tale of Cinderella, for example, it dates back to ancient Egypt. The next time we hear about it is ancient China. And so on and so on until the Brothers Grimm find the story. And these weren't stories you would tell your children. These were stories you would pass around the tavern killing time. And if you were to tell your child this story, it would be to keep them in line, so to speak. So if you're new here, this is Murder, Mystery, and History. My name's Christy. So I kind of wanted to talk about this story because of this story in particular. It's probably one of my favorites. But not a lot of people know how brutal the true story is. So with that, let's get into it. Deep in an underwater kingdom, a widowed merking lives. He has six daughters, all cared for by his mother, the Dowager Queen. Each of these sisters had been born one year apart, and when a mermaid turns 15, they are permitted to swim to the surface for the first time, to see the world outside of the underwater kingdom, to see the land and the sky, to glimpse the world above, so to speak. And each one of these sisters, save for the littlest mermaid, would become old enough each of their visits to this upper world would happen one, one at a time every year. As each older sister returned, the littlest mermaid would listen and she would long to hear the various descriptions of the world inhabited by these strange creatures who walked on two legs. One sister said she saw fireworks, another said she saw rain, another said she saw castles, another ships, etc. And the littlest mermaid longed and longed and longed and couldn't wait until it was her turn to go to the surface to see what was there. She was a very curious creature. And we all know what happens to curious creatures, don't we? So finally, the littlest mermaid turns 15. She's excited. She can't wait as she's swimming up to the surface. She can't believe what she's about to see. When she breaks the waves, she sees a birthday celebration happening. She sees this ship, and on this ship, she sees the most handsome creature she could ever see, which was a prince. As she watched from the safe distance, she falls immediately in love with him. Suddenly, a violent storm hits. The ship begins to sink. And the little mermaid watches 
as this handsome prince begins to drown. She can't let that happen. She has to save him. She swims as fast as her tail will let her, and she grabs the prince and delivers him unconscious to a shore. The closest shore she can find, but on this shore, there's a temple. The littlest mermaid waits. As soon as she puts him on the shore, she waits and waits and waits until she sees a young woman from this very temple with her ladies-in-waiting and finds the prince. The little mermaid watches and waits, but to her utter sadness, the prince never sees her. He doesn't even realize that she was the one who saved his life. As the little mermaid returns to her underwater kingdom, she starts to become immensely sad, immensely depressive, and soon she asks her grandmother, do humans live forever? Can they live forever? And the grandmother, as gently as she can, explains, humans have a much shorter lifespan. They die within 60, 80 years, but a mermaid's, the mermaid's lifespan is 300 years. But the difference is, humans have an internal soul that lives on in heaven. This was written in the 1800s, so there are some religious overtones here. Well, a mermaid's soul has, well, a mermaid has no soul. She immediately will turn to sea foam at her death and she will cease to exist. The littlest mermaid upon hearing this becomes even more depressed. She becomes even sadder. She longs for the prince, but she wonders how, how can I do this? And then she starts to wonder and hope and pray that maybe if she marries the prince, maybe part of his eternal soul can become hers and she can go to heaven too. The little mermaid thinks and thinks and thinks, what can she do? How can she get the prince to fall in love with her? How can she get to the surface? She knows, she knows what she needs to do now. The littlest mermaid starts to swim in the deepest, darkest part of the ocean. Part she has been warned, never, ever go. Longing for the prince and an eternal soul, she throws caution to the wind, or sea in this case, and she visits the sea witch. The witch tells her, If you give me your voice, that most beautiful voice that comes out of your mouth, I'll help you get a soul. Don't you worry. In return for her soul, she sells her this potion. But she warns her, Littlest mermaid, once you drank this potion, you can never come back. Once you leave home, you'll never be able to come home again. She warns the mermaid, is this really what you want? Is this really what you want to do? In a place where there are no souls, there's still all-consuming magic. Which begs another question, but we'll talk about that later. As she consumes the potion, her body feels as though it's breaking apart into the littlest mermaid feels as though a sword is passing through her body and she just can't let go. She is in excruciating pain. And she passes out. As she awakens, naked on the sand, 
she has two human legs. Not quite sure how to work them. She starts to move and somehow she's able to walk with an immense amount of grace like no one else before her. But as she moves these new feet of hers, it feels as though she is walking on shards of glass. She is in constant pain every time a twitch of those legs moves. She is in constant pain walking. But is it right? Can she do this to win the love of the prince? The other part of her curse that will call it that is if she cannot make the prince love her, she will die of a broken heart and dissolve into sea foam on the wave. She is found naked by her prince. The prince is mesmerized by how beautiful she walks, how much grace she has. Even though she can't speak a word, even though this woman is completely mute, he likes her. Most of all, the prince likes to watch her dance. Despite the fact the littlest mermaid is in absolute agony and suffering, she dances. Every pain she takes, every single step she takes is excruciating pain. But anything to see the prince smile. She soon becomes the prince's favorite companion and she feels as though she's close. He's going to fall in love with her soon. He's going to know that she was the one who saved him. He's going to know and she will be his wife. She goes everywhere with the prince, hoping and praying that he realizes she was the one who saved him. Soon, the prince tells the little mermaid that his parents are arranging a marriage for her and her heart begins to break into a million pieces. Because if he marries this princess, then she's done for. Everything she has done will be for nothing. The prince swears up and down he will not marry her. He does not know this princess. He doesn't love her. He goes on to say he can only love the young woman from the temple who rescued him. The little mermaid's heart skips a beat. And she wishes she could say, it's me, it's me. I'm the one who saved you. But alas, her tongue is gone. She is completely mute. When the prince lays eyes on his arranged princess that he is to marry as per his parents' wishes, he declares he is absolutely in love with her. It's the young woman from the temple. This is the woman for him. She saved him. A royal wedding is announced at once. The little mermaid cannot believe what's going on. She has worked so hard to get here. She has saved her prince, and yet he doesn't even realize the sacrifices that she made for him. Her presence is demanded at the royal wedding. The prince and the princess celebrate on a wedding ship. The little mermaid's heart breaks into a million pieces as she watches her prince dance with his wife. As she watches the happiness that she is so denied, she thinks of everything she sacrificed. Her family, her life, 
She knows at dawn she's going to die. And she thinks of it this way. At least her suffering will be at an end. And as she is waiting, hoping for the sun to break soon, she sees movement in the water and she sees her sisters. Her sisters hair is gone. Her five sisters had the most beautiful hair. And when they rose to the surface, there was literally almost nothing. Her sisters have a dagger and they tell her, dear sister, dear sister, if you stab the prince with this dagger, see which has given us in exchange for our hair, and you let his blood drip at your feet, you'll become like us again. You'll be a mermaid again. All your suffering will be at an end and you'll live out your full life with us in the ocean with your family. The littlest mermaid takes the dagger and she sees the sleeping prince in his quarters with his wife. As she raises the dagger, she finds out she can't do it. She cannot kill her prince to save herself. She takes the dagger and throws it overboard, just as the dawn breaks. She throws herself off the ship into the water. She starts to become sea foam. Her body is dissolving, but instead of ceasing to exist, she feels the warm sun on her body, and she's discovered that she's turned into this luminous, erythral, earthbound spirit, a daughter of the air. As she is ascending into the atmosphere, She's greeted by other daughters of the air. And all because she has worked so hard with all her heart to obtain this immortal soul because of her selflessness. She is given the chance to earn her own soul by doing good deeds for mankind for 300 years. And one day she will rise up into heaven. Except every time a child sheds a tear that's an additional year. So in essence, she's doomed to be this earthbound spirit. Because how often does a child cry? Every day. And that is the end of The Little Mermaid. What's curious about this is Hans Christian Andersen wrote this, and there's some dispute as to whether he wrote it about Jenny Lind and the part about the Little Mermaid never sending to heaven because she has no soul is because Jenny Lind rejected him. On the other hand, there is another theory that he wrote this about Edward Collin. insinuating that he was a bisexual man, which there's nothing wrong with, but insinuating that he wrote this because Edward got engaged to a woman and that he wrote this as him not being able to be with Edward. But these are all theories that are in the literary world. Now on to our second true tale. A king and a queen long for nothing more than a child. 
After years of absolute infertility, they are blessed with a baby girl. With this baby girl, they are warned. Something bad will happen to her. And this is usually at the daughter's christening. That there are a few fairies who give her gifts of grace and beauty and love and music. But there's always one wicked fairy that will say, Your daughter will die when she pricks her finger on a piece of flax. In other versions, she is the daughter of a lord and a lady, not a king and a queen. And astrologers will actually say that when a piece of a splinter of flax will kill her. However, it's learned that it's actually a long, deep sleep. This young girl's name in this version is Talia. Talia is the daughter of a lord and lady. Now, what we do know is that she falls into a deep sleep. And what we do know is it is because a splinter of flax is in her, her father is absolutely distraught. When she falls into this deep sleep, she is seated on a velvet throne and her father, the great Lord, to forget his absolute sadness, closes the doors to his house and abandons his house forever leaving his daughter in her deep sleep by herself. A king is walking by. This is years later. And one of his falcons flies into the house. So the king will start knocking, 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 hoping that someone lets him in, hoping there's a servant, someone, anyone, and no one answers. So he decides to climb into the house. He wants his prize back. He wants his falcon. He sees Talia on this velvet throne. He finds her alive but unconscious and gathers the first fruits of love. Now, what do you think the first fruits of love are? He in essence rapes this young girl. Afterwards, he leaves her in a bed and goes back to his kingdom. Talia is still unconscious. She doesn't understand. She doesn't even know that she's been raped. She gives birth to twins, one of whom keeps sucking her finger because it's hungry. Talia awakens because one of these twins sucked the flax that was stuck deep in Talia's finger. When she wakes up, she realizes she has these twins. She's awake. She's not bad. She's a mother. She has no idea what happened to her. And one day, the king decides that he wants to go back. He wants to go see Talia again. He goes back to this palace to find her awake. And a mother to his twins. He tells her who he is, what has happened. And somehow, admits this, they end up bonding. This is like super gross. I know this is super gross. After a few days, the king decides he has to go back to his realm, but promises Talia he'll return and he'll take her back. He will take her to his kingdom. When he gets back to his kingdom, his queen will hear him saying, 
Thalia's sun and moon in his sleep. She starts threatening. She starts bribing. She find, she has to threaten her king's secretary to find out what's going on. Soon she learns that he saw Talia, that he has woken the sleeping beauty. She can't have that. No one will be queen in her stead. She grabs a quill and some paper, and she pretends that she's the king, and she will write to Talia, asking her to send the twins, because he wants to see them. He wants to get to know his children. Talia thinks that the king has actually sent for her children, and she will send her twins there. And the queen decides that she will tell the cook to kill, murder, and cook these twins, and make dishes out of them to serve the king. She wants the king to eat his mistakes. These children cannot be allowed to live. Instead, the cook takes the twins and to his wife, and he hides them. He then will cook two lambs, and he will serve them as if they are the twins. Every time the king mentions how good the food is, the queen is said to reply, Eat. Eat up. You're eating of your own. Soon, the queen decides that it's Talia's turn and invites her to the kingdom, and she decides she's going to burn Talia alive. The king appears, though, and he finds out what's going on what the queen intended for his children. Instead of Talia being burned, the queen is burned alive. She is burned along with those who betrayed him. Since the cook actually did not kill these children, the king rewards him. The story actually ends with Talia becoming queen. And what's interesting to note here is there's not even, like, any remorse from the king. And it's just generally accepted that he raped this unconscious woman. And that it was okay. And that they can bond over it. And it's just so gross that this was so widely accepted, in my opinion. But in each of these fairy tales, you see a difference in what was acceptable. It was acceptable in The Little Mermaid to give everything up for the one chance at something. And you didn't even get that actual chance. You just got shafted at the end of it, so to speak. But what we see in common with both of these are they're both aspects of the story of desperation. Desperation in The Little Mermaid for an Eternal Soul. Desperation from this evil queen to not be usurped by the Sleeping Beauty. But when we talk about these and you see movies set on these, you see them as so dumbed down. So everybody has a happy ending, but there's no real happy ending in either of these stories. Like, sure, Sleeping Beauty got to be queen, but, you know, we have an absolute evil queen who was burned alive at the stake and tried to murder her children, so. So this is kind of just a little brief history on fairy tales, and I just 
think these are stories that are interesting and I think that this is something that we could probably go deeper into soon and I'm sure if we go into the psychological aspect of The Little Mermaid we could say this was a self-conscious thing and you know if we keep changing for somebody else we'll never find out who we really are etc and when we think about Sleeping Beauty that's there's a lot of actual like psychological things we can talk about there but so this is just like a really brief story of these both and I think there's a lot to be learned in the shaping of stories and how they're told and I think this is if you're like interested in any of these like absolutely go by the Brothers Grimm there's some really even the true story of Rapunzel is a very interesting one so if you're asking yourself how to share a podcast you can follow me you can follow me on Facebook same profile picture as the podcast murder mystery and history you can send me an email at murder mystery and history at gmail.com and you can also follow me on Twitter but does anybody still use Twitter now I don't know are we like banning Twitter I don't I don't know anyways so you can follow me on Spotify anchor Google Podcasts overcasts Castbox, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Until we meet again.